know, now as a grown adult, I was way too invested. I think if I cared a little bit less, I probably would have rode better. By caring too much, I overthought, I was too emotional, I was too easily tipped off my axis. Um, Concentration-wise, I wanted to win too much. I think so if there's you know if there's any young riders listening then by all means you know take it one section at a time don't start rushing <laughs> hello and welcome to episode 63 of the trials australia podcast i'm your host david grice just a reminder that if you're enjoying this podcast to share it with friends Remember to subscribe and all episodes will be automatically available on your device. This episode is sponsored by Gas Gas. We heard on episode 59 with Daniel Blank Ganay that rather than hide trials in the corner, the KTM group are keen to promote the trials products and showcase the origins of the Gas Gas brand. You can even see the trials bikes showcased in the Justin Barsha promo videos for his Supercross events. Right now, the 2021 TXT racing bikes are available from your Gas Gas Trials dealers. We are a global podcast, so please inquire through your local dealers. However, in Australia, those dealers are The Hell Team, Revolution Trials, PTR Engineering, Moto Dynamics, and Rock Hopping SA. Right now, the 2021 bikes are available in 250 and 300cc capacities. Also, in Australia are a couple of remaining 2020 bikes with a $1,500 factory rebate, making them fantastic value while stocks last. Please contact your Gas Gas dealer to inquire. This podcast is also sponsored by The Hell Team. The Hell Team supply an extensive array of parts and accessories via their online shop, www.thehellteam.com. One of the products that we're going to showcase this week is the Morad 36-hole tubeless rims. These are of particular interest for the classic bike riders. The Morad 36-hole rim allows you to convert that old twin shock bike to run tubeless rear tyres. And by running these tubeless rear tyres, you get more choice of tyre brands, as well as the advantages that more modern tyres offer you to run them at significantly lower pressure, which gives you a significant grip advantage. Just do a search for 36H on the Hell Team website. And as well as stocking the Morad rims, the Hell Team also stock tyres from Michelin Dunlop and the Maxxis range for Osset bikes. Now, just to follow up on last week's message regarding Tim Coleman, we continue to wish Tim Coleman the best in his recovery. However, I mentioned I was uncomfortable going into too much detail until we knew more. And thankfully, this week, we have an update to provide. In early March, Tim was competing at a hard enduro event in Queensland. And during this race, he suffered a life-threatening medical episode, which is now believed to be severe heat stroke. He was airlifted to the Gold Coast University Hospital where he was in a stable but critical condition and he was put into an induced coma. In some positive news, Tim is now awake and talking after 15 days in the induced coma. He's in good spirits and ready to begin the next phase of his recovery. Tim, as you can appreciate, is mostly self-employed and so there are going to be limited avenues for income throughout his recovery and a GoFundMe page has been created, which I have linked to in this week's show notes. I'd encourage any of our listeners who are able to, to please chip in a few dollars to help Tim in his recovery and also go back and listen to episode 37 where we interviewed Tim himself. Now onto our interview guest this week, Danny Butler. Danny Butler achieved a world ranking of three in bicycle trials, but in a twist from the usual story, he actually started in moto trials and had a very promising start, in fact, becoming a British youth champion, the Cheshire Centre champion. However, 
This was about the time when the UK were having a foot and mouth outbreak, and so there was limited opportunity to pursue moto trials. And this is when Danny pivoted to bicycle trials. As you'll hear, Danny isn't the kind of person to do anything in half measure. So once he found bicycle trials, he went on to become the first British rider to make it to a UCI World Cup final. He was the five times men's elite British champion, as well as achieving a world number three ranking. So extreme was Danny's training regimen that he had a serious injury from all the effort he exerted on his body that resulted in surgery that only gave him a 50% chance of being able to ride again. We discuss how Danny overcame this adversity and pivoted from competitive trials riding into building a quite significant business, the Extreme Mountain Bike Show, which saw him have hundreds of bookings a year and working alongside Diversity, the dance crew who were winners of Britain's Got Talent TV show. And then... COVID happened and that all got stopped in its tracks and we hear about how Danny refocused to start Trial Tube, a Top Gear-esque YouTube channel focused on reviewing trials bikes plus a whole heap more to come. This was a long interview so I ended up making this a two-parter again. I hope you enjoy part one of my chat with Danny Butler. Danny Butler, welcome to the Trials Australia podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure uh, as it is always to have people from new disciplines and uh, with new things to share with us on the podcast. We're, uh, we're hopefully going to get a bit of, of a tour from a bicycle trials scene from you, if we could, because uh, you're one of the gentlemen that has done a bit of moto trials, still is, and, and, and we'll talk about your trial tube as we go on. But you've actually transitioned from moto to push bike. And most of my guests, if I'm honest, have gone the other way. So I'm really keen to sort of hear more about push bike trials, if that's all right. Yeah, no, no problems at all. I'm, uh, yeah, I guess at this point now, I've been riding push bike trials for 29 years. So yeah, okay. I'm, uh, I, I don't want to say I'm the old school, but I, I kind of try and try and say that my era were uh, were all riders that were kind of, who were, who were sort of, I guess, going towards their mid 30s now, are kind of riders that were, um, like really big names, you know, yeah. <laughs> at the time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, but it did all start with motorcycles. Is that correct? Yeah. So okay. I, I actually, um, my dad is a bit, I'm a bit of a legacy, I guess. My dad was, uh, a very keen trials rider. He, uh, he was actually quite a good X-Men expert club level rider. He were, he won the, he won the club and class at trials like the big Britain, um, riding. Right. Okay. Riding, uh, riding my favourite bike actually, um, which was a 1986 pink RTL Honda. Right. Okay. Ah. Um, okay. So that's that's where the the genes come from from the uh, from the trial side of things. When I actually, when as a kid, uh, my dad wanted me to to ride motocross. Um, but at so, that time, hang on, was... hey, whoa, 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 whoa. So <laughs> a trials rider was pushing their son into motocross. Well, yeah, it was it was. Um, my dad was a good rider as a trials rider, and uh, he was he was uh, he was a motocross GP mechanic for, uh, for uh, a okay. Brian Higgin, who rode yeah. um, who rode for a sort of satellite Yamaha team at the time, uh, and did really well as a schoolboy racer as well. And and yeah, I sort of grew up around anything two wheels and mostly two stroke. Uh, right. Aside from okay. my dad riding the RTL, of course. Ah, very cool. Yeah, there's a few RTLs still kicking around my club, if I'm honest. So, yeah, they're a very, very popular bike. The thing, I guess, is most 
people steer people away from motocross into trials. So this 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 story gets even more interesting because uh, here he is trying to push you. So you just didn't take to it. It wasn't your thing. So a bit of a uh, bit of a shameless um, confession, I guess, David, more than anything else. Is uh, for for Christmas, you know, Santa came. He arrived. I came downstairs to see a, a shiny KX sixty Kawasaki. Uh, plenty of gear. Um, we went out, and uh, I'd never rode a. I, I rode a. I rode a PW50, and yep. um, and that was my first geared bike. Was a KX60 Kawasaki motocross bike, and uh, yeah, I I took it out, and I was so excited, I was shaking, and uh, we went to just a local sort of open open field area because you know yeah. I'd never rode a KX60, and you know there's a big difference in power between a PW50 <laughs> and a KX60. Yeah, um, a little bit. Yeah, rode one. Um, and uh, I was that excited. I was absolutely scared stiff. Didn't want to go oh, anywhere right. near it. And I okay. pushed the bike up and down the field for half an hour. Oh my god! <laughs> I pushed it up and down, and um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, after about you know twenty to twenty-five minutes as a as a teeny tiny top pushing your Kawasaki, yeah, uh, my dad literally just went, "Are you ready to have a go now?" And I just went, <laughs> "Yeah." Yeah. motocross yeah. gear with a, obviously looking like a lemon with a massive helmet as well because all tiny tots in motocross i've got this minutes minuscule body and a massive head yeah uh, just from, from from the helmet size and uh yeah i got on the bike I, I really enjoyed riding on my own as in at my pace um we went to a couple of races a couple of race meetings oh and i really struggled I, yeah i okay. really really struggled and um my dad was like, "Oh, it's not working. It's not working." So he bought a bought a TY80, okay, um, which was, as we all know, possibly the greatest kids' bike ever built. Um, and I went to my first trial, which was a, a Cheshire Centre trial at um, Frodsham Club, and I was second in D class. Okay, I'd been so... practicing maybe once. I was wearing motocross gear. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, and a trials helmet, but yeah, at the time, yeah, yeah. my motocross helmet was like a, I can't remember what the actual, it was an AXO one, and it had a removable chin, chin bar, so we just took the chin bar off, and I was, uh, you know, wearing that whole 80s neon motocross gear on a TY80, looking uh, looking a little bit sort of motocross rider who got lost, and <laughs> um, and yeah, I was second at the first trial, and, and then my dad was like, there you go. ah, we're doing the wrong thing. <laughs> so uh, we, we we then went down the motorcycle trials rabbit hole and my I guess my peers at the time or the riders that would be riding at the same point of me um, so Michael Brown was a little bit younger than me and yep. and uh, James Dable was a, a tiny bit older than me but then in the same sort of time frame were riders like uh, Tom Sager who went on to become obviously a very very successful enduro rider um, yep. Lee Edmondson who's obviously now Billy Bolt's mechanic, uh, head mechanic from Los Farnas. So like my my childhood riding click as such, we're all very, very successful, are now very all very successful in the industry. Yeah, um, okay. They all went on to become uh, either great riders or or great parts of the industry, whether enduro trials or, or pushback trials in, in some cases. Were you able to sort of embrace that passion and, and, and enthusiasm? Now that you had a taste for trials, is that like a real driving and motivating thing? Were you dragging your bike, your dad down at the trials every weekend? So, so for me, I, um, I guess when you, what's the best way to put it? Uh, when, when you're a kid, 
I, I, you know, some kids came in from school and watched cartoons. Uh, I came in from school and watched the Pizza Factory 1987 video with Jordi Tarras on the TR34. Right. Um, <laughs> I watched that video that much that I actually wore the wore the VHS out. Like, wow! I had to buy another copy um, because I'd just literally worn it out. Uh, and 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 yeah, we used to we had a couple of couple of bits of land locally um we're talking within two three miles obviously where i live in the center of the country very much peak district kind of area we've got we've got some great rider rider history in the area you know um although i don't ride a gas gas now um i was a gas gas rider as a young as a as a c-class rider yeah uh, because john shirt gas gas was literally you know within 20 miles from my house okay Um, and and then the venues locally were a, a kind of legendary trials venues uh, within an hour from my house is um, a place called Bracken Rocks, which for those who don't know was is owned by Mick Andrews. Right. Okay. Or was owned by Mick, Mick Andrews. The land actually got bought out by a club, but uh, originally that was Mick Andrews's back garden. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh... a lot of the development of early bikes, like the Majesty, etc., were developed in my local area. Yeah. Okay. So that being a student of the sport at an early age and wearing out VHS, you're not actually the first guest to do something similar to that. Did that tra- that translate into a bit of success? Because you know, in preparation for this, we we, we know that you're you were Cheshire Centre Youth Champion, uh, and you even won some British Youth Championships. So how was that progression through the grades through the various areas in Britain? Yeah, it was it was a big deal to me at the time, to be honest, and I think. I, I really struggled in the beginning because now I'm, you know, I'm, now I'm six foot two. But when I was a kid, I was a tiny kid, um, right? And I really struggled because the bikes back then weren't as they are now. You know, they definitely weren't as light. And you'd come off a TY80 and then jump onto a. You either had the choices of riding a Mecha Techno Amigo uh, or riding a Gas Gas, and and you know we jumped onto a Gas Gas at the time. Gas Gas didn't really make a one two five. They made the one sixty. And people would then sleeve down the 160 to make it 100cc, and you can right. ride 100cc in the C class. So my first gas gas was a I'm trying to think of the model numbers going back now. It was a Contact JT. Right. Um, okay. So you know, talking 94, 94 gas gas, uh, 94, 95, and yeah, that that bike was it was not light. Uh, so I really, I really struggled with my body weight when, as I came through C class, I started to get a lot better. Um, so my, like the 96, 97 bike, um, you know, the JT or JTX time, they were kind of like my, my first new, newish bikes. And then my first sort of fully brand new bike was a, was a 96, um, JTX. Not, it wasn't a, uh, but it had 97 stickers on it. And my dad didn't think any of the difference. He was, uh, he was kind of like, new bike. And I was like, it's a 96 because of the small small bit of the frame at the front that's cut out. And he was like, how do you know that? Um, that so that attention out, to but... detail probably stems from all that watching of like the videos and wearing that out as well. It, it does sound yeah. like, yeah, attention to detail was a thing that you sort of had innately. And we know that that really helps trials riders, you know, like that precision is actually a skill that we really depend on completely completely i mean obviously i was super grateful um it was my first real brand new bike and uh you know like i say some kids some kids want to play football i just wanted to ride trials i wanted to, you know I, I idolized the riders uh 
I was a fan of trials. I still am a fan of trials. Um, and strangely, as I was getting better, I started to care more about getting better as well. Um, right. Okay. To be honest, I was. I'm gonna say now as a you know now as a, a grown adult, I was way I was way too invested. I think if I cared a little bit less, I probably would have rode better. Got it. Okay. Um, by caring too much, uh, I overthought. I was too emotional. I was too easily tipped off my axis um, concentration wise. Where whereas some of the younger lads were were a lot more calculated and saw it for what it was. I I wanted to win too much. Um, which definitely put me back, I think. So if there's, you know, if there's any young riders listening, then by all means, you know, take it one section at a time. Don't start rushing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's good sentiments actually. So what I want to know is when did you make that transition out of moto and into bicycle trials? And at what point was that? So here in the UK, we had, um, I was coming out of C class going into my first year of B class and you know, what's that put me like 12 years old, 13 years old. And at the time, as I was coming out of C-class, I'd had a really good season. Uh, the sort of rivals of that year were, you know, James Dable, which my claim to fame still to this day on a motorbike is that because uh, he's, he's a very good dude. You know, James has had an amazing career and it should be celebrated, you know, more than what it is really. Yeah. And he's a fantastic talent. Um, I had the I had the pleasure of being able to be his minder for a little while uh, when I had a knee injury, which you know you said we'll, we'll touch on later maybe. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, I was able to beat him uh, around, and and that was like that was a big deal at the time because he was he was extremely good. That, so you were his minder, and you at a different trial you beat him because you you can't yeah, be minding yeah, and riding as well. No, no, no. I was a minder for him as an adult. Um, oh, okay. So one season when I was injured off the push bike, uh, James actually put a message on Facebook. It was like two or three nights before Sheffield Indoor, and yep. he was he was really struggling to get a minder to go out and just stay in Spain um, with him for I think it was like it ended during about three months. Yeah, um, it was quite a long long stint, and obviously I I ride shows in the summer, but in the winter, you know, the idea is to to train to get fit. But I had such a bad knee injury that. There was no getting fit. There was just coping until I, I got to be able to be under the knife. So I was just, uh, you know, I was completely able, able-bodied. Uh, I just had a very large knee brace on. And uh, I said to him, I'm like, well, if you want to go to Spain on Monday, I'll go. And he was, yeah, right. he was just completely like bowled over as if to say, are you serious? And I was like, yeah, man, I'll pack a bag. I'll come Sheffield and we'll chat about it in five minutes if you want. And then if you want to go, if you want to, go to Spain on Monday, then no worries, let's go. <laughs> and, uh, so at the, what the when I beat him at the trial, that was when we were kids, um, and obviously time had time had flown by then. But it was a bit of a random trip. But I'll tell you a bit about that in a bit. So literally, yeah, it, it, it's it's very strange. Like I said, I've been being a long time in the sport. It always ends up being like crazy stories. They're never normal stories. They're always a little bit wild. So, but we I had, like them. Um, <laughs> we had foot and mouth disease in the UK anyway. Yeah. Um, so what, was no... this 2000, 2001? Yeah, it is, yeah. Yep. So 2000, 2001 is when I made the, the transfer. And what happened was I uh, every kid at that time had a Monty as a practice bike um, because for me, I, I do live in the city or did live in the city as a, as a kid, uh, which meant, you know, you can't just 
sort of roll your gas gas out and go riding down the street. Of course, um, yeah. It's uh, we just haven't got that much space in the UK, um, <laughs> and I uh, so I, I, I was practicing. I don't know five five nights a week after school on a on a push bike. Yeah, okay. Um, and I was getting better, to be honest. And what I liked about the push bike trials bike is that you could do all the trick riding, all the stop and hop. Uh, still to still to this day, people tell me that I should do more non-stop riding, uh, and I have to explain to them I, I don't hop on purpose. I hop by accident because it's all I've ever done. So right. the, the hopping or the advanced sort of bike moving on the motorbike, I don't I, I don't do it on purpose. It, it just happens because I've been spent that many years riding a push bike that now if I'm not hopping, I don't feel like I'm riding. It's really weird. Uh, it's hard to explain, I guess. But the um, yeah, so I was riding that, and then foot and mouth kicked in, and and then we did a I got a sponsorship ride for a company called Megamo. Which were the opposing the opposing brand to Monty uh, on the push bikes, and all the motorcycle trials closed down because of foot and mouth disease. Uh, you know the ACU weren't issuing any permits. Very similar to COVID nineteen, I guess. Very yep. similar to what's going on right now, um, but on a much smaller scale. Um, and they just nobody was letting people ride closed circuit trials, and venues weren't accessible because of foot and mouth disease. So I just rode the push bike. And and then when that closed down, Megamo actually got asked to do a like a UK tour of a what's the best way? Well, you'll know you'll know the shop Halfords. Yep, yep, yep. Um, yep. So we actually did a, a tour of Halfords stores in the UK all through the summer holidays, all through the school holidays, and that was like my first real show tour. And so what was I like fourteen years old? And we were doing okay. shows for for Megamo bikes outside Halfords because they they started a, a new like shop a side of Halfords called Bike Hut and, and Halfords got big into selling mountain bikes just like they do nowadays. And uh, we were basically, we did a show on a day to open the Bike Hut of the store. So okay. we did like four shows a day. So I just went on the road riding push bikes. And then when foot and mouth disease was over, I had a I had a brand new Beta Rev 3 um, and I must have rode it twice. And then all of a sudden, uh, the guys from Megamo said, oh, we're going to go and enter the World Championships. You fancy coming and riding one? And I was like, a world championship. And they were like, yeah, you'll do okay. And I was like, I'll do okay. It's a world championship like, for the kids. I'm yeah. like, I, I've, I've been riding a, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty handy, but I'm not, I'm not like world championship like, material. Like world sure. championship level, you know. Yeah. You can go and do a show and people will be like, hey, ain't that kid good? But at the time, I was kind of like, I was a bit knocked back. And uh, the first round that we went out to was at a very famous um, Belgian venue, uh, Bill Steen. Which is a motorcycle trials venue as well. It like, is, yeah. It's the, the one motorcycle and the same. trials world round venue, yeah. Very, very famous step there. And uh, so I went, uh, you know, saw it returned up. There was a lot of other British riders. And this was a point where British or the UK push bike trials riders uh, aren't what they are today. Uh, when we went out there, the goal at a world championship round was to get out of a section. That was the goal. It wasn't to clean the section. It was just to get to the ends cards. If you could wow. get to the ends cards, then you were the boy. If you know what I'm saying, if you were if you were a British rider that could get to the ends cards, you were like the best British rider ever. Um, and undoubtedly, I didn't get through a single section. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. There. It was uh, it was a real eye opener to see like the European riders. Um, I saw Rock P for the first time and Sessa Canas and. You know, as a kid, they were they were incredible. 
they were so much better than you'd ever imagine on video. And um, because obviously, again, we didn't have YouTube back then. That was that wasn't a thing. And um, yeah, you know, I, I'd only be able to see riders like that caliber watching things like uh, OP Dream and OP Technique. And and then I got further down the rabbit hole, and and basically there was we we I had to make a decision. I was at a point in my age and sort of life where I was thinking, you know, if I don't if I don't choose a side right now, then I don't know which way I'm going to go. And this was at a point where motorcycle trials was on a bit of a tipping point in the UK and in the world because people were having this huge argument about non-stop and stop and hop. And and it went non-stop. And I hated non-stop at the time. I was I was a kid. I loved the trick riding. You know, I was I used to find it amazing to see the fact that Jordi Tarras could hop and jump around and didn't have to just ride around the trees. I know it was flowing and it looks awesome and I've got masses of respect for people that ride non-stop in a in a nice flowing manner, you know. But at the time I was a kid and I didn't find it as interesting as being able to back up and jump across things. So yeah. And not to mention, from the way you've explained it, you've got a whole push behind you where the bike trials are going well and, you know, you're now going to Belgium for events. So, yeah, I could definitely see the appeal, especially if you're living in town and you don't have access to a lot of land. just makes sense. It just, I can can really understand, yeah. That was that was it basically, and then we went out for the second time, and we did the whole circuit of the World Championship rounds. So there was one in uh, Spain, France, and I think there was the next one was in it was either Belgium or Germany, um, and then there was one that I could never afford to go to, uh, which was always the last one, of, the last one which was in Japan, in a place called Itadori, um, which was always held at a very very famous venue called Oppi Park, actually, um, very famous trials venue super dangerous really slippy but i didn't actually get to visit there till i was about 22 right okay um basically until i sponsored footed the bill a bit more than my dad yeah um, absolutely so it just wasn't as easy to travel there you were one of the first british riders to make it to a uci world cup final so which one was that so i was yeah basically i was the how it happened was I was a, a BIU rider, so there's two there's two federations um, in push bike trials, very much you know very similar to like rugby league, rugby union. They're both the yep. same thing, but they don't mean the same thing. Got it. And uh, in in BIU, which is bike trial, you can use your sort of bash plate and the pedals and and get over the rocks in a sort of more traditional motorcycle style way. Uh, you know, on the motorcycle, if you if you land on the on the sump guard, it's I can't remember the rules right now and the indoors, um, but it, it used to be clean to be on the sun guard basically in yep. the 90s and early 2000s, didn't it? And then it became a point on the, on the sun guard. Yeah. Uh, bike, bike trial basically is that, you know, you can ride, you can ride the sections and use your sun guard and your pedals. Okay. And, and I was one of the first riders to, to go to the UCI because, because there was a little bit of controversy. Um, and it and it all stemmed from uh, an argument in a car park, which basically right. didn't really go very well. Um, I won't name names because, yeah, it was it was a bad time when I was I was a youth at the end of the day. I didn't really have anything to do with it. I was a kid, um, but then the, the sort of stigma stuck with me then as I became an adult because we went to ride UCI um, because I wasn't allowed to go to a BIU competition in the UK. Right. Also, okay. Also, it was kind of a storm in a teapot because. Uh, 
the better you get as a young bike trial rider in the UK, then the more you're scrutinized, unfortunately, because it's a small sport. Yeah. Um, yep. So everybody ends up wanting to own the sport. And, and um, my family, we wanted to go and ride some UCIs. We'd never been. Yeah. And uh, I, had, I actually was given an ultima- ultimatum. Uh, if you ride a UCI trial, we'll ban you from BIU in the UK. Right. Okay. Got it. So I'm a bit of a sod like that. So I yeah. Went. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, right. Will you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like 16, 17 now. And as you can imagine, I had a temper on me and I was just kind of like, Really responding well to authority and yeah. Yeah. Re- oh yeah. Oh God, I had a massive problem with authority. So I was just <laughs> kind of like, I, honestly, I was such, I, I had such a, uh, such a temper. Um, but on th- that temper did me a world of good. Um, people, people How always so? wondered. Um, so I actually ended up getting signed by brands that had nothing to do with trials because they thought like my temper was awesome. You're a bit edgy. So yeah. Yeah. So I was almost like a, a naughty bike trial boy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like I ended okay. up being fancied because I wasn't the good kid. Um, I was kind of the angry teenager. Uh, and and it went down really well for me. So, so you know, brands would get involved with me. Um, I rode for Fox for 10 years. Um, wow. Obviously, Fox Clothing are not the kind of brand that, that they do not back trials riders um, because yeah we're not cool enough basically yeah basically. exactly and, yeah and, um, and still to this day the guy who ran fox at the time um be- before this podcast this evening i spoke to him um and he was he, he was he calls me and stuff and he was just like you were a trials rider he said and you and i stayed on because fox were really good at sort of um you could be with fox and then if you if you weren't doing well or whatever you know fox were a big company and they, and they had a lot of uh, a lot of pressure to perform so if you if you know other other athletes in the uk were you know people like danny hart um and and then there's there's then there's me on a bike that's got no seat which yeah, is famously right. uncool that yeah. hops on his front and back wheel you know so it was kind of like i was definitely not your average um trials rider i had a temper i was uh, yeah, I had a personality, I guess. I don't know, but it, it definitely um, it definitely got me into trouble. So the first time I made it into a UCI um, World Final was in Graz. I'd never been to a UCI trial. Uh, sorry, no, tell a lie. I'd gone to the World Championships in Caprun in Austria, and that's what got me the ban. They were like, you can't go to World Championships. I, co- I completely qualified to go. Um, right. I was, a, I was a junior. I was a first-year junior. I was 16 years old. Uh, I got a British cycling license and we had no help from British cycling to go at the time because trials was very, uh, uh, it was like we didn't exist sort of thing. And um, we turned up and we we stayed in the van and, you know, we weren't part of the Team GB cycling team or anything like that. We just sort of went, I put a Team GB shirt on on the day. I had no no idea. The rules were completely different than by trial. So you're not allowed to use your um, bash guard or, or, or bash ring or pedals yep. everything has to jump to tires uh and i was just like this is really cool and some of the riders were like i'd, I'd easy, easily say 40 percent better than the bike trial riders they had that much more style finesse uh riding capability technique um yep. and obviously that it's all down to the fact that they weren't allowed to use their pedals or bash ring everything they went up they had to do the tires and if they right. used anything else they got a dab for it and and, and in UCI, you could have, at the time, the, the rules have changed now. It's done on point scoring. 
Um, but at the time, you could you could get a four. So if you were in a section and you got a three, which in my trial, you could have a three and then get to the ends cards just like a motorcycle trial, you know, yeah. like you see people sit down and basically paddle the job out. Um, but in, in, in the UCI, if you don't yourself a three, you could keep that three. And if you right. got a four, then, you know, you're a point down. It was it was more competitive, and and the riders were were legendary. The first riders that I saw at that trial were people that you know would always have their names on the signatures of the frames that I was riding. People like Mark Caso, uh, Terry Girard, uh, Kenny Bailey was it was a young and extremely talented rider. He actually won the world championship that year in Capron um, in the rain. I remember it, and uh, and also twenty inch riders like uh, a chap called Marco Hosel from Germany who you'd never yep. see at the bike trial rounds. They'd never go. Um, so they were kind of like legendary riders that you'd only hear about, if you know what I mean, like whispers. You knew they were out there, but you'd never see them. Yeah, especially then, the days before YouTube. So Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So when you went there and then saw these people ride and they were, you know, people say never meet your heroes. Um, the first time I met Mark Caso, he was not only the nicest guy I've ever met in my life, and you know, I'll be able, I'd say that, you know, all the way through the career. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't just the nicest man in the trial. He was also the most talented, the most stylish to watch and would spend 20 minutes with you as a kid trying to help you. He yeah. Was, he was great. I was like, dude, does, I, I know why you're my idol now. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. As soon as you met him, he became your idol. It was really funny. Yeah. Um, so they were the kind of riders. They were great. And, and then I was hooked on being a UCI rider and not being a BIU rider anymore. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then I went to Capro, uh, sorry, the, the first World Cup round uh, a year later because there was a gap. And I was, you know, I'd been a junior for a little while and I was actually a junior rider. But if you go to a World Cup and you're old enough, you can be in the junior class, but you have to ride with the big boys. A bit like a bit like riding the junior class at Trial GP. But, yes. but unfortunately, you have to go over the GP sections, not the junior section. Got it. Um, yeah. So the kids still went over the massive stuff, basically. And uh, I went to Capron. There's a qualification. Um, then there's the, the semi-final. And then there's a final. Uh, I won the qualification. I was second in the semi. And I was uh, I went into the final. And uh, I was that nervous. I went completely to pot. And I didn't just do anything because I couldn't believe I'd got there. I was second in the in the semi-final behind Vincent Amant, who obviously you know went on to become world champion many times. And I right. beat a load of other famous um uci riders at the time and i was just completely sort of knocked back and me and my dad went out there just just us on a plane um there was no other british riders there we were the first ones and my first crack at a world cup uci i, I final and i was yeah i was i was made up i was bowled over i was like you know top 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 eight in the world in the first go wow um so that Jeez. was that was, that's awesome you carry yeah you carry adult points then and then i yep. became up on my heist well, yeah, my, my highest ranking, like, which was when I was younger, was like, was like 19, 20 years old. Um, I was, my starting number was like two and three. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it's done on rankings, just like the motorcycle trials is really, you know. Yeah, okay. And, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was that high up. And then I came back to the UK. I was allowed to ride UK trials again um, <laughs> because I still, sort of started a trend of other riders. Then because, because more than just me wanted to go and ride UCI, everybody else wanted to go and ride UCI. And, and because more than one person did it, then it was okay. Um, which at the time, you know, I, I resented it a bit, but now, now I kind of just find it funny. I was just like, I just kind of thought to myself, well, 
well, everybody wants to be the cool kids don't they, at the end of the day. And, and, and maybe I was just like a naughty boy. And then every, at the end of it, everybody's just like, well, actually, that looks kind of fun. So yeah. uh, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe I was an enabler or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we briefly interrupt this conversation to remind you that our podcast is sponsored by Gas Gas. Gas Gas right now have a range of 2021 bikes available in 250 and 300cc capacities available from your Gas Gas Trials dealer. We're a global podcast, so please inquire through your local dealers. However, in Australia, there's currently some remaining 2020 stock available with $1,500 factory rebate, making them fantastic value while stocks last. Please contact your Gas Gas dealer to inquire. Now, back to our conversation. Just so I'm clear on the distinction so uh bru was the um governing body for bicycle trials in the uk Mm -hmm. but uci was obviously the body that we worldwide think synonymous with cycling in general Mm -hmm. so were were they both competing essentially as the same bodies in the uk or was uci an international body and BRU was like the domestic arm uh, for um, for what happened locally in Britain? Because it sounds like there were different rules is the way you say. So how did that sort of whole structure work? So the structure was basically um, BRU as a federation, is a world federation. Okay, um, got it. Very similar to UCI, uh, but BRU is only for the bike trial rules, which is using your pedals and your bash guard. Understood. Okay. Whereas UCI is multidisciplinary. Okay, yeah. got it. And they have their own version of trials, which is basically the trials version that we know today yeah. um, with Jack Carthy and and people like that riding. Obviously, with Sergi being the world champion now, uh, Sergio Longuera has been the, been, the, been the world champion now. And and that's kind of, if you if now, if you are world champion in UCI, that's the one that's recognized. Although there are world bike trial championships still going on today, um, yeah. I do feel like the one that's got, the one that's more respected maybe to win is the uh, is the UCI one. Okay. And just in terms of the differences of points and the differences in scoring. So you said that there was, you could get a four and mm-hmm. it was just an achievement to make it to the ends card. So what, what are some of the differences in scoring and the way bike trials works as opposed to moto trials? Just you're taking this naive podcaster on a bit of a journey of bike trials, <laughs> which I have no previous foray into. So you sort of have no, to dumb cool. it down a bit for me. That's all right. No worries. So um, how a section would work in in bike trial is basically just like a, just like a motorcycle trial. Flags, ends cards, start cards. Um, in bike trial, because people have a tendency to balance a little bit too long or prep or set up a little bit too long. Um, for the BIU rules, there was a two-minute time limit. Originally, for the whole section? For the whole section, yeah. Two minutes. And, uh, and, and at world level, there is a lot to do in two minutes. You have to be an absolute animal to get out. Uh, and then to get out clean is just like a, an entirely different level of, okay. um, of technique, speed, style everything um and that was in bike trial because i know you know i know some riders that are what i can only say are absolute artists on the pedals like if they land to pedal um a good friend of mine who i who i ended up being a teammate with uh, a chap named bone slinger who doesn't ride anymore he was genuinely uh he was a fantastic uci rider fantastic um but when we went to the biu rounds 
he was better on his pedals than he was on his tires. You know, he could land on something with his pedal down, dug in the rock, and almost climb the rock on just his pedal, never mind his tires. Like wow. hopping from the from sort of like plateau to plateau using the pedal, um, and which was which I was absolutely useless at. I'm not going to lie, uh, I was I was terrible at it. I was just if if I had to use the pedal, it was like a like a emergency ejector seat. It's like oh god, yeah, right. it's happening. I must use the pedal. Oh Christ! Um, so that's kind of how it went for me. But that lad was a, he was a, he was an artist on the pedals. Fair dues. He could get up anything without using his tires. It was insane. But the um, but then in UCI. Uh, the the rules were slightly different. So again, just like a normal section in motor trials, start cards, end cards, cards in the middle telling you where to go. Uh, but there was two and a half minutes in the section. But, but that extra time still wasn't enough because UCI was that much harder. The obstacles were that much bigger and required that much more effort that you, A, needed to land on your tyres because landing on your tyres was quicker. Uh, and and B, you know, using the pedals it slowed you down and and you weren't as um what's the best way for me to put it you weren't as clean i guess you know there's a, there's getting a clean and then in uci there's genuinely being clean you, you you're not using your pedals you always land into tires and to do it clean you've got to be fast uh on point and at the same time for most of the gates at the time that were really inventive it was like jump from one knife edge to another knife edge and then turn right on the knife edge and jump up to another knife edge <laughs> right. it was ridiculous <laughs> so so um, it sounds like the caliber of sections were so much more intense than what you'd find at, in a moto trials event so was there it sounded like the way you described some of them especially at the highest level was almost an achievement just to complete it let alone clean yeah. it so whereas i don't think i'd say the same for you know the best riders in a grade in trials they should be most you know at the the best riders and stuff should be able to clean almost all the sections. You know, they might they might go around, you know, a good day, they go around for single or digits or or, or sort of low mm. double digits. So yet it sounds like the way sections get set in bike trials is completely different. Was there a – how did that play out then in terms of scoring? Because was it just – you're getting really like ridiculously high scores, you, you know, on an average day? So the – in the beginning, in the beginning when everybody comes to bike trial, Everybody fives, everybody, um, just like any other sport, just like motorcycle trials. You know, people don't get into motorcycle trials and then clean every section. And it really is, it's really done on a sliding scale, just like just like motorcycle trials is. The better you get, the less points you get, you know, to, to somebody that's completely new to a sport, then they're not going to get it right the first time and, and they shouldn't. And if they do, then fair play, you know. <laughs> all those they're riding the wrong grade. Like, they yeah, you're, 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 you're not even in the right route, you know, you, you're just pot hunting. And um, and literally, it was a little bit like that in bike trial. But I feel like at the time I rode, the riders were so competitive. It was it was insane that the sections became that hard because we we had riders that were were so so established and so gifted. And that's what I'm going to say. You know, these people were gifted. Um, that they, they they just ended up, you know, you can tell obviously that I, I quite revere them and, and respect them even now, even if some people were my rivals and I didn't necessarily get on with them, I, especially now at the age I am now, um, I respect them more than anything because what we were doing at the time was not really feasible on a push bike. You know, some of the some of the techniques that are used now by younger riders were actually invented during during that period of being at the World Championships. 
and 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 the sections themselves you you didn't it's 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 really hard to explain Dave because yeah. the the level climbed so quickly within the years it was like wow okay you'd get to the end of a year and you'd be on point and you'd be competitive and you'd be able to get out of the section and then you'd come back the next year and the sections had like been on steroids it was insane you'd come back and be like nobody's getting up there but then all winter we'd all train that hard that we all got in the sections and then people are getting out of them and then people are cleaning them by like the end of the oh first my god and then, okay. and then we're all sort of such because you'd walk the section every lap on a push bike um yeah which is obviously something that you wouldn't necessarily do on a motorcycle trial at club level um and, and literally we were walking the section every lap because we'd heard on the grapevine that such and such had got to there to tires and they were like so it is possible then and almost then it became sort of like a game, this sort of mad game of, of well, well, if Kenny Bellet got there, got there to tyres, then it's obviously possible. Uh, and then, you know, the, the riders became so competitive and they, they basically, it, it got a little bit out of control. I think that's yeah. the best way for me to put it. The gap jumps got really far. The bikes got super light. Between, between three years, three seasons, the bikes went from 12 kilos to seven wow like they halved in weight in three years and of course um, that just amplifies everything you can do plus you get bigger and stronger so yeah okay now you got to such a high level you mentioned that your starting number was like two or three so is that what you'd consider your world ranking then uh yeah my world ranking when i was um, riding for a bike company called uh, custilia bikes which was owned by giacomo and Gilles custilia who obviously Gilles was multiple time world cup and world champion um for, for brands like cox obviously custodia bikes and and now i think he rides for i think he rides for breath bikes now that come out of china um but he he was definitely one of the most celebrated world champions from the push bike era era although not necessarily so well known um because nowadays everybody thinks push bike trials is is what danny mac does on video yeah um, right and it's kind of been lost in translation a little bit unfortunately but unfortunately yeah. for the sport yeah because I, I looked up some video footage of like a uci final and it was yeah it's nothing like what danny mccaskill will do um which is fine because danny mccaskill's brought a whole generation of people in with an interest to this sort of stuff to it but yeah because it's just fun and interesting to watch but the uci stuff is really yeah the the best demonstration i think of what i can see of a sport it, it looks really really tricky and difficult and and in terms of your own performance i mean you were five times british champion a european champion so you got to such a high level in the sport did you walk away from the sport did you decide i've had enough now or because I, I know you mentioned something about an injury as well so where, where did it all how did it all sort of wind up so my last competitive year um was 2009 and uh, i i did go into no, sorry, it was 2010. Apologies. So, and in 2010, I was I was BIU British champion. I was UCI yeah. British champion. Uh, I won both lots um, against really good competition. You know, riders that I respected. We were rivals. Didn't necessarily get on all the time, um, but I really did respect them. And that's you know because uh, it's not easy to get to that level in any sport. And and these guys were amazing athletes and people. You know, uh, it took a lot because push bike trials isn't as, you know, there's not, if you ride for a push bike trials company, you, there's no wages. Um, and at the end of the year, you'd spend any sponsor budget traveling 
So, you know, I was a yeah. 20, 24, 25 year old dude who lived with his mum. And um, although I was amazing, I could bunny hop really, really high. That doesn't really, um, it doesn't impress the ladies. Uh, so it's not, it's not really the one, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, that guy looks really cool over there. He's in really good shape. I wonder how high he could bunny hop. Yeah. No, that's not so, what women are thinking, is it? You know? No. And so um, life was catching up with you is, is, I guess what you're trying to say. Yeah. Life was catching up. And also I'd rode that much the year prior in 2010 that I'd started to damage my body and I didn't realize. So in a week I'd ride six times. So seven days in a week, I'd ride six out of those seven days. Uh, I'd ride three times a day, and I used to go cross-country riding quite a lot, like cross-country mountain biking. You know, people call it enduro now, but back in the day it was cross-country. Yeah, uh, I didn't ride road roadie at the time because I got knocked off by a car once, and that ended my road career instantly. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so that's you know we were training a lot, and you know in, in past pictures of me, you know I'm built somewhere between a gymnast and a twig. So you know you don't you don't carry yeah. on you don't carry a lot of body weight when you when you're a push bike trials rider because you've got to carry your fat rear end up them rocks you know if yeah. the bike weighs seven kilo and you weigh seventy then it sort of defeats the object especially when there was riders that were out there they were like we were cutting nobbles off tires to save grams on the bike that's oh how God. serious it was getting so we'd like okay. cut half the outside nobbles off the tires you'll see push bike trials tires now actually have hardly any novels there's like hardly any grip they're almost slick yeah right um, and it's to save weight and it was a trend that started when we were when i was riding um because one rider turned up i think it was vincent turned up to a turned up to a trial and he he cut his own tire and then we were all obviously very serious thinking oh <laughs> what does he know cut his tire like what does he know that we don't you know that's exactly. how serious people were and you know when we came back to the next trial everybody had cut their tires it was hilarious uh. When you look back now, I think you bunch of sad acts. But you know, you just yeah. you just like you, you're so far down the rabbit hole that you can't stop. So yeah, it was it was that kind of level. But I, I basically I rode that much that I um I got tendonitis in my left quad, so just above my knee, above yep. my left knee, uh, my tendon through being ripped and torn and overtrained, and every time that I was side hopping, obviously you compress your body. And you tense up really hard before you take off. And no matter how much stretching or olive oil you can throw down your neck, yeah, um, it was getting worse. Okay. And the more I rode, which I rode a lot, the more I rode, the worse it got. Uh, I actually ended up having nine inches of tendon cut out my leg. Um, oh my god! Approach. Yeah, it was a lot. I had a lot. I had a lot taken out of my leg. Yeah, just above my knee. I had uh, forty-three staples in my leg to put it back together. Um, I, had a, I basically I went into the I went into the doctors, just a local GP, and uh, tendons aren't blood fed by the way, so they, they they don't swell up. You just have pain and a lot of it um, because you know people in the people in the bike trial competition I don't know, community were you know Danny Butler's lost it. Danny Butler can't do this. Danny Butler can't do that. You know I'm obviously straight away the the wolves are at the door, aren't they? You know you're British champion and people are more than happy to to slate you because. I went to the first round of the British Championship and I rode four sections and I couldn't ride. I was a state oh, wow. left um, and I was in pain and I was angry. Uh, and yeah, it just got worse. It just went from bad to worse. And then I didn't ride because if I, if I stopped riding, it didn't feel as bad. And then I felt a little bit better and then I'd go out riding. And then the next day I'd wake up and I'd be in pain again. And it just started. And then it got to a point where I was struggling to like, 
to give you an idea, I couldn't sit still in the front of a car for more than 10 minutes because right. I was uncomfortable. Like I couldn't go on a short car journey because sitting in one position was killing me. It was like basically like somebody was driving a knife in the top of my thigh. And uh, so I went to the GP and said to him, I was like, listen, I've got a problem in my leg. It's really bad. And, you know, when, when a GP looks at you as a completely fit body 24-year-old who's more than able of walking in and, and you say to him, listen, I've got a really bad knee, he just says, take two paracetamol and I'll see you never. And uh, that went on for, uh, I'm going to say about four months of me getting back all the time. And to the point where the GP was like, right, I'm going to refer you to a specialist. Uh, he's private. And because um, at the time, I, you know, I was a bike trial rider. I didn't I didn't have enough money to afford any form of private care. So I was yeah, like, yeah. Like, rinsing the NHS good and proper. And um, and literally, I, I went to see a specialist and he said, uh, okay, okay, no worries. Uh, he made a load of notes. He was very posh. And he, uh, he recorded the entire session. Not as yep. cool as this, but he recorded it. <laughs> exactly yeah. what it says. And uh, and then I went on my merry way. And he said, uh, I'm going to recommend you for a few things. And, and that weekend, uh, during this whole sort of mishmash of my riding downfall on the push bike at the time, I bought a, a Rev3, another Beta Rev3. Wow. And uh, it was £850 off eBay. Nice. It was an absolute bag of nails. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> it was possibly the worst the worst example of a beta you've ever seen in your life uh, don't judge me and then yep. in between you know it took me about a month and i put it back together and, and it was pristine like it was like i'd revive this junkyard beta <laughs> yeah. and uh and i i entered a trial i was like i said to my dad right because he bought one as well on the cheap i think his was like 700 quid because uh, i wanted a 270 and, and he wanted a 250 and we uh, we put these beta revs back together. You know, back, this is like 2012 now, and I was on a 2003 beta rev 270. So the bike was weathered. And uh, I went to trial. Uh, I was wearing motocross kit, Fox motocross kit, because I was still sponsored by Fox. Yep. And a, and a helmet, an open face helmet. I can't remember the brand, to be honest, but it was the most terrible looking helmet you've ever seen for a trial slip. Uh, and I got a friend of mine who worked at uh, Gas Gas to hook me up with some uh, Novagar boots some trials boots. I was like, because I'm not turning up in motocross boots because I had all Fox motocross that, gear. That is a bridge too far, yes. Agree. It, oh, completely, completely. I was like, listen, I I used to do this. I'm not I'm not turning up to a trial in motocross boots. That's sacrilege. <laughs> and um, yeah, I went and I won the expert route. I entered expert. I didn't enter like novice or anything. I just entered expert. Oh my God. I was like, I, was like, I used to ride British championship rounds. I'm like, this is easy. No worries. Yep. turned up and won <laughs> my riding oh. wasn't good by the way don't think it was yeah good. it was like i got out of trouble because my hopping was that good like, got i it. couldn't ride around a corner or up a hill but i could get round everything by almost lifting the bike up the hill yeah, um, okay. so had you diagnosed your knee at this stage fully or were you still figuring out what was the problem with your injury i was in denial okay I just a hundred percent thought that it would get better by training um I know, I know. I know it sounds yeah. stupid, but I was, I was in denial. I was like, if I train harder, I'll get better. Or and and then I just became like gym obsessed after that. Um, and I, you know, I'd go to gym. I'd like, I wouldn't ride as much, but I'd go to the gym a lot. Like, okay. I'd go to the gym yeah. like ten times a week, but then ride once. And yeah. and the only thing that happened with that was my level of lifting the bike and bunny hopping because I got so strong. 
I could bunny hop really high then. Um, we're talking like 58, 59 inches static. Oh my and, God. Uh, yeah, big. And, uh, and I was like, I'm so ready to compete again. And then, but I went, my riding sessions were short. And then I actually went to a, to a, to a bike trial. I rode elite and, and I was shocked because I had so much lift, but I was knackered in about five minutes because I was a big engine. Yeah, you know, I was, gotcha. I was big and heavy and strong, but my stamina was rubbish. You know, I was like a V8 competing against a bunch of two liter turbos that were like, just kept going. And I ran out of fuel half a lap in. Um, so that's basically what happened. And then I, I kind of, again, obviously didn't take that very well. So I went, uh, I went back to riding more motorcycles. The doctors did tell you, you could never ride again, didn't they? Like that was yeah, so, one of the messages they gave you. Like you, you, you say you're in denial, but yeah. <laughs> that, like the worst news you could have had was you can never ride again was given to you. Yeah, it was. So I, uh, I went to motorcycle trial after that, after that riding with a bush bike and I come off, uh, by this, I was a bit further down the motorcycle trials rabbit hole as well. I'd, uh, I'd got a 2011 beta Evo and, uh, it was a factory. It was, you know, it was nice. It was eat your dinner off yep. level, uh, very much like the one I have now, I guess. And um, I fell off in a stream and I clipped my knee. And I, and I mean, literally, you know, flicked it. It wasn't, it wasn't like a big crash. I just felt a little bit weird and hit the end of my knee. Nothing serious. And my knee went massive. It exploded. It was huge. Like right, I okay. carried back to the van. It was really bad. I was like, what have I done? Like, I had enough swelling to make me think that I'd like. I don't know, shattered my knee or something. It was huge. Um, and I had an x-ray and they sat me down in the x-ray room and they were like, yeah, your knee's fine. And I was like, I looked, I literally just looked down and went, dude, my knee is not fine. It's huge. And, uh, and she said, well, we have got a bit of a problem. And they showed me the x-ray and basically the knee joint was completely fine. And just, you know, half an inch above the knee joint was like this white cloud. It was like, like somebody had sort of airbrushed white on top of the x-ray. Right, she okay. Said, uh, she said, uh, well, it's not your knee that's the problem. None of the bones in your leg, they're fine, all of them. And she said, I said, all right, who's been spray painting my x-ray then? And uh, and and the doctor at the time said, um, well, that's calcium. And I was like, right. She was like, she, she basically said to me, she says, you've got one of the worst cases of tendonitis in your knee that I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, okay and then i went back and saw the the specialist and he said um he said well you've got two choices um choice a is uh you never ride a bike ever again ever again it's over it's finished and, you and this go is on moto a, or push bike it, it kind of moto and push bike yeah yeah everything the whole shebang um you never ride a bike ever again or or we operate and you've got a 50 50 chance of fully recovering uh, but it is 50 50 you will either recover or not recover and be on crutches for the rest of your life after the operation. Uh, and I was like, right, okay. But he told me that I could live a semi-normal life, you know, walking, running, um, but have pain forever in my knee because it, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't always blow up. But but trials would be over for me. That was it. Done. Yeah. Okay. And, and that was the uh, ultimatum that I got given. Um, as, as usual, I rushed into it and I thought about it for all of about five minutes. And I was like, sign me up for the knife, kid. Yeah. And, yep. uh, and uh, yeah, that it was between Christmas and New Year. Um, 
oh, what year are we talking now? I'm going to say 20, 2013. Okay. Yeah, 2013. Uh, between Christmas and New Year. So I had Christmas walking about, doing my thing. And then like the Wednesday in between, uh, yeah, I went in and I went under the knife. And I came out. And, and to be honest, it got really serious after that because when I when I came out of the of the operation, um, I was completely out of it. You know, I was I was I was not in in the best of place. And coming around from anesthesia for anybody that's been under the knife, they'll know that it's 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 very surreal feeling. You kind of you go to sleep and then you wake up. And when I woke up, I was instantly in pain, um, like an obscene amount of pain. Uh, and then it just kind of filled me full of some of the best painkillers. And then after that, it got worse because my uh, I, w- I woke up and I was supposed to be I was supposed to have physio straight away um, to get me moving. Because when I woke up, I just had this enormous pain all the way up my left side and in my back, and it went all the way up to my neck. Um, because what I didn't know was uh, they'd actually cut like cut my nerves, so I couldn't feel my left leg, but the rest of my body was sort of transferring the pain, saying there's something seriously wrong here on the left hand side. Oh my god. Um, so my body was like freaking out and I was supposed to be fed. Basically I was supposed to have something to eat and then have physio because I've been in, I've been in the operation for hours and hours and hours. It took ages. Um, like I say, nine inches of tendon because they had to get rid of all the calcium. They couldn't leave any in there. So every little, they were like almost like ball bearing size, um, like underneath my skin. Some of them were anyway, they, they were like the biggest. And, and, and when this I came around, tendonitis and calcification is this something that's common on all push bike trials riders, or are you just unlucky and it happened to you? Uh, I think it's common in sports people, so, right? You know, okay, like, tennis elbow is basically tendonitis in your elbow. Got it. Um, okay, but what I basically did was I had a nice, massive case of it, big enough to. I was in pain for a while, but I just used to think I was aching because I was training hard. Yeah. Okay. I've recovered from a few surgeries so i do share your sentiments but i was just curious to know whether there was like a predisposition to this type of injury because of the the nature of the way you do bike trials and some of the stresses you put on your body in different ways but yeah i think you said stoke on trent players from football yeah. have also had similar things well this was the guy who did the operation for me it was a he, he normally operated on uh footballers yeah okay uh, and he said uh, he said he'd done it a lot with like um, patella tendonitis, but I had something called quadriceps tendinosis, uh, which obviously in your quad. And uh, well, I woke up from the operation anyway, and then I had a seizure, and then uh, it just got worse after that. I had a seizure. I had I had the whole paddles thing going on, and like oh my god, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it got really bad, and then they kept me in overnight because I had a bad reaction, obviously, to waking up from anaesthesia. Um, and and to be honest, that was when I turned the corner, and I, from that moment, I didn't compete ever again, as in as a pushbike trials rider. Pushbike trials rider, yeah, yeah. You were telling us about that you've ended your bike trials pretty much uh, sharp. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed this Trials Australia podcast. Remember, get in touch with us with any tips, suggestions, or recommended guests via email at podcast at trials.com.au. That's all for now.